Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Peter Fennell, who was here previously to talk about his NDE. Since he's been on, Peter has went to Costa Rica for an ayahuasca retreat, which helped him process his NDE, and we're going to talk about that and more. Peter, welcome back. Thanks for having me back on, Jeff. Peter, for those who are not aware of your NDE, can you briefly review what happened? Yeah. Um, July of 2021, I had a what was supposed to be a routine surgery, and it didn't go well. It was a colon resection, and the physician didn't properly close my colon. I you know, ended up leaking inside of myself for seven days. Before I went back to the hospital, um, after that, I had a second surgery to repair the first surgery. And he was trying to send me home again on the third day, but I was so septic and so E. coli, I, I was going to die if he sent me home. Uh, the nurses came in and had my people get a second opinion, insist upon it. I mean, it. it the sacrifice of maybe their own jobs at that point. And with it, that second opinion, within 15 minutes of him trying to discharge me, I was wheeled into the ICU where they drained me of six and a half liters of septic fluid. I was diagnosed with E. coli, sepsis, and acute septic shock. Um, I was wheeled into the ICU. They hooked me up to a drain. They drained me of all this septic fluid. And I spent I, I want to say probably 10, 12 days, 14 days in the ICU recovering from all this. My people tell me I was out of it for almost a week. And during that time, the hallucinations, delusions, the ICU turned into a steampunk like construction site. And there was a dark doorway on the other side. And I crossed through that doorway and I was in purgatory. At that point, I was standing up what it looked like a castle wall. And I'm looking across this dark, diminished area where like malignant souls were lost and they were just wandering around. And a, there was a being there with me. I don't know who it was or what it was. And it was like I got a download of information. And on the other side of purgatory, I could see there was a light. There was a path outside of what I was seeing. And I took that experience as a warning to what my life was, to what it has become. It, you know, before I was a heavy drinker, I would do 12, a 12 pack a day, five nights a week, sometimes seven nights a week. I was a two to three pack a day cigarette smoker. Um, I mean, I was a championship barbecue guy. I got the word tattooed on my knuckles here, you know, and now I don't drink. I don't smoke cigarettes. 
I can't even eat meat because of the surgery. I can't process the food the way I used to. So my life has been completely altered by that failed surgery. And in the state of Florida, there's no repercussions. There's no liability is so minimal. No lawyers want to touch it. So it's not like I have a medical malpractice case. My life was just thrown into chaos and I had no recourse. And I mean, when we did the first video, you know, I was a wreck. I was an absolute total wreck. I, I want to thank you and your wife for editing that video so professionally. And it changed my life doing your show. It really did. I was telling Peter before we started that he's like a different person. He's so calm and relaxed now. What was it about just doing the show that helped you? The show was the catalyst that began my healing. Um, speaking about it, seeing how I was so broken, and then going through and reading all the comments. I went back and I went through every comment that every viewer had put up there. If I, I acknowledged it with a thumbs up or I actually took the material and responded and it pointed me in directions that I would have never thought of before. Um, down the path of the dark night of the soul, you know, where that philosophy is, you're letting go of the old you and trying to create the authentic you. You know, the alcohol and the cigarettes and the lifestyle that I was living before was all just part of what I thought society, what I was supposed to be, not who I actually was. So it, it, reading the comments and getting that direction from people who have been through these things or, you know, studied the NDEs really helped me out a lot. It, it was amazing. That's great feedback. And it's great that we have such an awesome community here that the commoners or the viewers could actually help you out. Oh, without a doubt. There was even one exchange, um, a gentleman, somebody, um, I don't know exactly who, I don't know if it was on Facebook, he got a hold of me or through your the, uh, comments, but we had a back and forth, a, t a little tiff going on about the comment of me being a redneck. And, and I was trying to argue my point and he was our, and he was saying his point and we, we met in the middle and we agreed to disagree on that. And there was no animosity or anything, but it got me to thinking, you know, the, the whole redneck persona and who I used to be and who the authentic me is going to be. And that, that even helped me, even a little argument like that, small conversations, you know, that's amazing. Was it one of the commoners that inspired you to go to Costa Rica? Um, no, I'd, I'd started looking up uh, psychedelic therapy here in the States. That's, you know, the ketamine therapies and things of that nature. People had suggested. And through looking up the psychedelic therapies, you know, I'd, I'd done mushrooms as a kid and LSD and things like that. But all of a sudden the ayahuasca started coming up it started coming up in the feed and I started investigating that avenue. And rather than sitting in a clinical situation where I had been forced to uh, this, the NDE gave me PTSD against Western medicine. 
So being in a clinical situation with clinical psychologists was not going to work for me at all. So I started investigating the ayahuasca deeper and it became a calling. You know, I went through and looked at several different places, some here in the States, some in Costa Rica, some in Brazil, you know, Peru. And through all of that, I found a resource, uh, Solterra, that really, really helped out. Their, their philosophy with ayahuasca, the way that they handle it, the integration, the process is amazing. And it made me who I am today in comparison to who I was when we did the video the first time. When you went there, was it more of a spiritual, shamanic type of retreat or was it more clinical where you would just kind of take the ayahuasca? No, this, this was completely spiritual, completely traditional in the Shipibo traditions. Um, the healers that were there, there were two healers, they were a husband and wife team, and they had been done, they've been dealing with ayahuasca since they were children. You know, I believe they started when they were about 11 years old is what they said. And, you know, they, they, they produce the ayahuasca. They have, they have you set intentions before you go in, you know, the facilities, there's the healers that are the Shipibos and their tradition. And then there's the facilitators that work for Solterra that help you with the integration of what you're trying to process and what you're going to go through. And they, they basically watch you while you're in the medicine to make sure that you're okay. It's very safe. It's very secure. And it's, I can't imagine doing it any other way because the, the way that it helped me. Did you end up going through periods of vomiting? Oh, yes. The purge is real. Um, whether it's a forward purge, a reverse purge, um, sweating, crying, trembling, um, being immobilized. That's all different ways and different forms of the purge. So when you were going through it, did you have another NDE-like experience? And if so, what did you see? During the third ceremony, yes, I did. I, um, I, I need to start at the beginning with this, though, because there's four ceremonies, and each one ties into the next one. So you never know what you're going to face. My first one, I didn't trust the medicine, and I didn't trust my hernia. I have a massive hernia from the surgery, and I didn't trust that purging. So. When the healers came around, they sing an Icaros. It's a Shipibo song that they sing to each individual because they kind of read you where you're at in the medicine and what you're going through. And they sing this song, this Icaros, with just their voices. There's no percussion. There's no instruments. So when they came to me, they were coming around. They were to the left of me. I was awake. When they got in front of me, I fell asleep. And when they got to the right of me, I woke up again. It was, that was my body shutting down and denying the process because I was afraid of the purge, I was, you know, the medicine. And that led into the second night. The second night, the second ceremony, um, I was in the bathroom reverse purging and 
I was sweating profusely and I started having negative thoughts about the physician, about the hospital, about my situation. And I had asked ayahuasca to stop the negative thoughts. And at that point, my reverse purging completely stopped. Um, I had spirit animals come to me and it was, it was the craziest thing. It was, I, I had a serpent come to me, cut off my reverse purge. I got, was able to get out of the bathroom, go back into the Maloka, which was the big hut that we all sit in during the ceremony. And as soon as I sat down, I was able to forward purge. And it was the first time I had had any type of vomiting situation since my surgery. And it hurt. It hurt a lot. But beyond that, once I got all that negativity out of me, I was able to sit with the medicine and actually get into it. At one point, I had a jaguar sitting with me. You know, I had an owl. I became a great white owl. And that night, what the medicine was showing me is I had the wisdom and the strength to deal with this. And this is where it leads into the third. The third night, the third ceremony is when I relived my near-death experience. I was back in the hospital. I, I had the fever. I had the infection. I had all that negativity I was had to relive. And it wasn't easy. It was painful. It was traumatic. And in that third ceremony, at one point, I had seen the Grim Reaper. One of the facilitators was walking around just kind of viewing everybody. And piggybacked on him was a 12, 14-foot tall Grim Reaper. I could see the scythe underneath his robe. I, I knew there was a being in that darkness. And I just, I had the, I had the uh, Black Jaguar with me again, and we growled. And at that point, the facilitator took a step. The shadow figure, Grim Reaper, disappeared. And I just lunged back onto my mat. And <laughs> I said, F you, death. I'm, you can't have me. Not today. And it, it was hard. But that was part of the process. That was part of learning how to trust again. When you were seeing the spirit animals and you saw the Grim Reaper, do you feel like you are like in another realm and seeing them for real? Or was it more like a hallucination? No, it, it was very spiritual. It was very, very consuming. Like the second night when the spirit animals were with me, I became the great white owl. You know, when I took off my shirt, sweating to death and put my shirt back on. I, I was flapping my wings, trying to send love around to everybody around me. You know, I was trying to send love and wisdom and strength to everybody in the room, but that wasn't my responsibility. My responsibility was to myself and healing myself, you know? So the spirituality of it is very, very real. It's, whether it was hallucinations or whatever, it was, it was absolutely necessary and absolutely real. You said there were four nights, right? 
Yes. What did you do on the fourth night? Uh, the fourth night. The fourth night is uh, an arcana ceremony. Um, arcanas, they, they put this ceremony in the, the protection over you so that when you're leaving Solterra, you're leaving the Maloka, you're leaving with protection and healing. You're not carrying anything malevolent or malignant back to the real world with you, you know? Um, that night, I had I probably had the worst night of my life. I, my mind went to the darkest place the human mind can go. But it was necessary because the lesson I took from that one was, is I overthink everything. A lot of us do. You know, our, our generation, we, I was brought up, you know, hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Well, if we're always preparing for the worst, we're going to materialize it. It's going to happen. So stop overthinking things. Stop looking too deep into things and just accept it for what is at face value until you get to that point. Do you feel that you had to process this ayahuasca experience? Oh, yeah. There, there's The tools they give us through Solterra, it's not just... You can't just go down there and, oh, I'm going to go do ayahuasca this weekend. It's not like that. There's a 30-day diet that goes into it. I had to give up marijuana. I had to give up pork, red meat, which was easy for me because my NDE. There's a whole preparation that goes into it. Then you have the ceremonies, and there's a whole preparation coming out of it. So with how well thought out the program is they give you what they call integration tools how to take your ayahuasca experience and apply it to your real life apply it to what knowledge you need to learn from your experience and carry it with you in a positive way were there a lot of other people there participating in the ceremony with you and were there actually any other near-death experiencers um, it's one of the facilitators had had a near death experience. Um, as far as other people's reasons for being there, it's, it's highly confidential. It, it's, it's, it's strange. You know, you, I went in there with 20, 22 strangers. We were all 22 strangers that went in together. Through the process, two people dropped out, um, whether it was before or after a couple of ceremonies, you know, that's their, that was their choice that, you know, the ind individuality is key in all of this. You know, so we walked in 22 strangers. I walked out with 19 brothers and sisters, all given birth by Mother Ayahuasca. It was the most, it was beautiful. It really, really was. Do you feel now that you've processed your NDE enough or do you want to do another ayahuasca ceremony? Little of both. Little of both. I'm after I came back, I was able to change my insurance companies. Um, then in exchange, change my physician. I got a new uh, primary care, a new plan, and I've made appointments. You know, this is something I would have. I, you know, three months ago, I wouldn't have done. I was cussing people out on the phone. I was threatening their lives. 
because PTSD, the anxiety of even speaking to anybody in the medical industry just tore me apart. And since then, I've been able to accomplish this, but at the same time, the calling is real. I'm, I'm, I have another journey scheduled for June, you know, what next week, one week after we do this, I'm heading to down to Peru, the deep into the jungle off grid to do this again with Solterra and the Shipibo tradition. So this is the same people that you participated last time, but they're just doing it in a different location. Correct. Correct. They are, they are great with this whole process. They have right now, they have two locations in Costa Rica and I believe they have two in Peru and it's all done through the Shipibo tradition, which is amazing. It, the Icaros that they sing to you, and even while they're singing to other people, the Icaros is in the Maloka, and you're in the medicine, you're feeling it, and it's taking you to where you need to go. In hindsight, after going through this ceremony, how do you view your life now? Been one big synchronous pattern leading up to this calling. And I'm talking about, you know, childhood traumas, whether they're perceived or actual. Um, my father's suicide, being shipped off to military school and being isolated after my father's suicide. Um, my, the teenage years, all the things that I had to go through, doing the psychedelics as a child and not understanding the things I was seeing or the things that were being delivered to me. You know, I, I had no concept at 15, 16 years old. I was just having fun, you know, and then beyond that, my military service, um, my construction career, barbecue, everything in life has led me up to this point. I mean, I've had to process this my entire life from childhood traumas on through the NDE. I've had to speak with people who had PTSD from military service that I was able to help. Um, the people that are, are vegan and don't understand barbecue and I've talked to them and they start to see it. And it's just everything was equated. Like one of those conversations I had with a facilitator in Costa Rica was, this is all threads together. And once she said the word thread, my mother was a quilter. My sister does quilting. Yeah, it, so that word stuck in my head. And then I started building upon that. And it's like all of our learned experiences as, as children and things that we're taught are like fibers in the thread. You know, each one is an individual. Each one isn't perfect in itself. But when put together as a thread, you start to look past the imperfections of each individual fiber. You start to see it as a whole. And then we take that fiber and we lace it, we take it and lace it through a needle. And once we do that, we start to stitch together a tapestry. The Shipibo people, they, they make these beautiful ornate tapestries and they're all geometric patterns and none of them are perfect. Just like we're not perfect. The thread's not perfect. 
And every point that we put through that tapestry, every time we pierce that cloth, it's a, it's a point of contact. It's somebody that we've affected or has affected us. It's something in our life that has made us who we are. And until we finish that tapestry, we can't see the beauty in what we've created, whether it was a hard learning experience, a negative situation, or of the birth of a child, the birth of your children, the helping out a homeless person that you feel really needs it, or just giving somebody a hand up instead of a hand out. You know, everything creates this tapestry that is our life. And none of us are perfect. And just like the tapestries that Shapibo make, they're not all perfect. The stitches are sometimes not uniform or they're just obscure. And you have to step back and you have to see it as a whole to be able to witness everything you've been through and what you really want to do with that. Do you feel that you have a mission or a purpose here now? And if so, have you discovered what it is? I do believe that we all have a mission. We all have a purpose in this life and we all have to fulfill that purpose at some level. And right now, mine is learning about plant medicine. Mine is learning about ayahuasca and how it helps people and because how it helped me. And it's not going to be for everybody. I mean, you know, some people in the, in the comments pre on the previous video were, Oh, fine. God, well, that works for you. That's not going to work for me. I've had my situations with religion. Um, go to counseling. Well, counseling doesn't work for me because that's that clinical situation. You know, whereas ayahuasca really, really worked for me. And it really worked for the, the 19 brothers and sisters that I walked away having after this experience. And now when I go to uh, Peru in a week, I'm going to walk away with 12 more brothers and sisters because that's a smaller circuit down there. It's a smaller setup. I know that you mentioned that everything was private between you and the other people, but at any point, did you ever hang out together like during meals and talk and discuss your backgrounds or anything? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and it's th those small conversations that we were able to have at the meals or hanging out at the pool or, you know, walking down to the beach or just general conversations. Those little things that came up in those conversations really sank in. And th those are the threads. Those are the fibers in the thread that put it all together. You know, the facilitator mentioning the thread. Um, one gentleman there, he, him and I worked the same industry. We probably worked the same job sites at some point, you know, 25 years ago and didn't even know it. And, you know, that's the, that's the bonding. That's the, everybody becomes very vulnerable and you can't help but to become vulnerable. And you have to trust the people around you. You have to trust the medicine. You have to trust the healers. You have to trust the facilitators and you have to trust yourself to be able to get through it all. And that's what we all shared together. Those, those are the small conversations. Those are the small tidbits that we took from one another is trust and sharing. I'm not officially endorsing 
or inspiring people to participate in ayahuasca, but I am curious if you don't mind sharing with us, how much does it cost to do that? The trip to Costa Rica, you know, I, it was my first time out. So I wanted a private room. I didn't know if I had to wrestle with my demons, if we were going to need some privacy or not. So it was a little over $7,500. That included the airfare too? That was the airfare. That was the whole package. Hmm. Okay. And that was a week, the week, you know, it was all inclusive, all meals. Um, everything was provided for us. Um, it, it was just a, the whole experience. And it worked, it worked well. Would you do the ceremonies at nighttime? Yes, absolutely. It was, we'd started about 7.30 in the evening. And in Costa Rica, surprisingly enough, the sun went down fairly early. And by the time we were getting into the medicine, it was dark. But the first two, the first two ceremonies that we had, we had the most beautiful full moon coming up behind us. And it lit up. Our, our side of the Maloka, where me and my map, the people around me, we all had this beautiful sun, uh, moonlight coming through. And it was, it was spectacular. And it would last till about 3.30 in the morning. Do you feel like the other people there that you spoke with were there because they needed to work through something or they were just trying it like on a whim? No, this this is not a whim. This is not a whim by any stretch of the imagination. Everybody there had a reason. Everybody there, there was everything, you know, Ron White talked about giving up his addiction through ayahuasca. Um, Mike Tyson has talked about, you know, dealing with his traumas through ayahuasca. Everybody has their own reason for doing this. Some people were there for guidance in their life. Some people were there for addictions. I was there for PTSD. Other people were there for a multitude of reasons. And it, it turns out that, you know, when you go into an ayahuasca ceremony, you have to set intentions and it's not intentions are not expectations by any stretch of the imagination. It's, you know, you go in like my second ceremony, I went into the first ceremony with no intention. The second ceremony, after speaking to one of the facilitators, I had gained a little bit of knowledge and I went in with the intention of loving and discovering the new me after the surgery, getting rid of the PTSD. And in doing that, I had a much better experience. I didn't have an expectation of what the medicine was gonna do for me because that comes from the surrender. You know, you get your intention, you get your medicine, and you surrender to it, and you let it do its job, you know? Do you think after your experience, you have less fear? Oh, yeah. The, the PTSD and the anxiety of dealing with clinical medicine isn't completely gone, but 90% of it's gone. It's, you know, I got my red flags up. When a doctor comes at me the wrong way, I'm going to cut them off. You know, it has taught me a lot about myself and the issues that I've carried throughout my life and how I masked them with alcohol and drugs and sex and the whole gambit of what we're not supposed to be, you know. 
since the experience, are you still on this vegan type diet or have you changed? No, I, I, I kind of maintained a pescatarian diet, you know, ever since the, ever since my failed surgery, I, my body can't process the meat. Pork doesn't taste the same to me anymore. I mean, even to the point where bacon doesn't hit my palate like it should, but fish and vegetables and fruit, you know, smoothie. Yeah, it's it's strange. I went from cooking small children on barbecue grills with, you know, slathered in sugary sauces and smoke to eating vegetables. And that's that's probably why I was so broken during our first interview. I wasn't I wasn't able to process the 180 degree turn that my life took. But now that I've been able to process maybe why it took that turn, it, it makes it settle in and it makes it a little more palatable. For those of you that want to see the original interview, the link is in the description below. I was um, one broken individual and your wife does an amazing job of editing. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, you can still barbecue fish and vegetables. Are you doing that? I, I, I will get into that. Yes. I mean, you know, they say you can go back on red meat. They, they want you to stay away from pork because it's so closely related to humans. I mean, we can take the valve out of a pig heart and put it into a human heart. And pigs are, pigs will cannibalize another pig if they get hungry enough and they'll eat a human being. And some of the Amazon tribes that used to eat human beings said, we tasted like hog. We were pigs. <laughs> so that's, you know, stay away from the pork, but that's a personal choice too. Just like the red meat's a personal choice. I'm not telling anybody to change their life. I'm just saying what has worked for me and yeah, I'm going to continue on with it. If you look back at your NDE now, after this experience, do you reframe it in any way or reinterpret it? The NDE itself? No, not really. It, it, I took it for what it was. It was a warning, you know. I ended up in purgatory. I was downloaded with the information from whoever I was with. And... That's from being a survivor of suicide. That's from living my life heavy in alcohol, recreational drug use, you know, just completely off the rails and trying to hide who I really was. The NDE itself was the warning. And when I came out of that hospital, I, the person I was died in that hospital. It wasn't even a near-death experience. It was a death experience. As a redneck, my nickname was Pete Moss. You know, my barbecue was the Moss Pit, and that's what we did. Pete Moss died in that hospital. Peter Fennell came out. And trying to process all that information and rediscover who I am through this dark night of the soul process has been painful, but enlightening at the same time what i'm what i'm getting on this other side of it is happiness i'm getting i'm getting a sense of peace do you think that pre-birth it's possible that you decided to go through this life of alcohol and drugs and to have an nde 
Or do you think that pre-birth you had other plans and you got mixed up into all this stuff and the NDE was a chance to kind of get you back on track? I think from the pre-birth situation, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, we have to learn shame and humiliation and we have to go through pain and, you know, don't touch the stove. It's hot, that type of thing. So pre-birth, whatever karmic situation I had going on that I brought into this life, this life was the, the karma level that I had to correct it. And the life that I was thrust into with my father's situation and, you know, the way I was brought up after his death and it, 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 it created the necessity to have the NDE because it was either good. And that, that probably wasn't my first, I mean, you know, my being a survivor of suicide, my father kind of made that okay in my life. If it sounds, that sounds kind of strange, but it, it gave me another option in life, you know, and it was not, it wasn't the right option. And having that, I attempted it once or twice. You know, I woke up with my dog eating pills and vomit out of my mouth. I, you know, woke up bleeding skull from hitting a coffee table from attempting. And the NDE was, look, this situation from the, from your hospital, this is going to kill you if we don't stop it now. And the information that I was given and the things that were taken away from me, the addictions, the habits, the, the lifestyle, that was all necessary. Now I feel as if when I do pass, I'm going to be able to pass and move on to something better. I didn't review our last video together, mm. but either since your NDE or since this ayahuasca experience, do you have any new abilities that you didn't have prior that may seem like psychic abilities? We did cover this in the last video and it, it's still this, I'm trying to work on that. Um, through my NDE, I was able to kind of see and sense people's intentions like the surgeon, he was, he's, his ego was the biggest problem with all of this situation. He wouldn't listen to nurses saying that I needed a belly scan. Um, his, his inability to admit his mistake almost killed me. And it was all for his self-preservation of his ego. And I, <laughs> No, I'm, I'm not completely cured of, you know, my anger towards him or, you know, how I feel about that, but it's under control. It's I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to feel the anger and the rage. I'm not allowed to act on it, you know, and the same with the nurse who pinned me down, tied me down and prayed over me. She prayed over me with malice. I, I, I witnessed that. I sensed that. And she's the one that I attacked when I came out of my grandma's seizure, pulling my IVs out. I, I cussed her out. I told her 
go straight to hell. I was going to cut her head off and post it on a stick outside of my house. You know, screw her and her religion. Other nurses came over and prayed over me and they put me at ease. They put me at peace. It didn't make me angry. So the ability to sense people's bullshit has been heightened completely. I think last time you told me that you used to hang out with bikers and other partiers and it'd be interesting. I wonder what they think about the conversations that you're having now. <laughs> I, I still, I still maintain front my friendships. You know, there, there were, I had close friends and then I had bar buddies, the bar buddies, they, they fell off, you know, my, my close friendships, they're always going to be there. That's, that's the difference between, you know, reality and the false reality we create with alcohol and drugs. I wonder if you are an inspiration to any of your friends to change their lifestyles. I, I, all I can do in that situation, I'm not going to become this old holy roller, you know, veganism is the way to go and yada, yada, yada. This is just what's worked for me. I can tell my story to a thousand people. And if one person decides to follow this path because it's their calling, then that's their individual choice and they have the right to do that. So for me to sit there and try to browbeat people about it or you got it, no, I, I can't do that. You know, I, I have a friend who's gotten deeper into alcohol. Like, uh, one of our friends is terminal ALS. And he was one of our bar fishing buddies. And my other friend, he lost him as a bar buddy and he lost me as a bar buddy. So he's kind of started drinking a little heavier. And I can talk to him. I can hang out with him. I love him. He's my brother. But the choices he's going to make in life are his choices. You know, it's not going to stop me from doing what I'm doing. You know, we've had these conversations and he's like, well, that's your thing. And okay, I get that. It's my thing. I still love you. Still my brother. I'm just hoping that just some of these friends, just by even seeing you and seeing you clean would inspire them just to maybe, you know, stop drinking and using. Maybe I, I would hope that it does. You know, I have friends and I have friends in Seattle that I'm going to go back out and see and have discussions with them. And I think he may come down to Costa Rica with me at one point because this is it's, I equate ayahuasca as a tattoo. Once you get one under your skin, you're going to go back for more. And that's just what's going to happen with me, you know, and in, in no way am I sitting here trying to overemphasize the benefits of ayahuasca or the benefits that it's had on me. I'm just telling my story from my point of view. And like I said, if I tell a thousand people, if a thousand listeners, viewers watch this podcast and one of them decides that this is their path, then so be it. You know, if somebody wants to say something negative to me about it, they can say something that's not going to bother me. This just happened to be my chosen life path at this point. I would think that your body is extremely clean compared to what it used to be from using. Can you comment on like how physically better you feel? I feel lighter. I don't feel as oppressed. Um, I'm not dictated by the chemicals or the substances that I'm going to do 
the alcohol I'm going to consume. You know, it used to be, I had to go to, I had to be on my way to the bar at 4.30 in the afternoon to meet my friends or I was getting frustrated. I was getting angry. Um, the, the fact that I used to sit here and even after stopping drinking after the NDE and the cigarettes, I was still consuming marijuana continuously on a daily basis. I mean, from edibles to smoke to, you know, all the concentrates. I just spent the last year and a half high. And since I've I've had to do the dietia going into the ayahuasca, which was giving up marijuana and medications and things of that nature, I, I started dreaming again. My REM sleep is solid. I'm having lucid dreams that I can control. I can come out of a dream, use the restroom in the middle of the night, lay back down and go back into the same dream and control it. Um, And that has opened up my neural pathways in my brain. It has allowed me to be able to process all of the emotional shit that I had to deal with, all the physical stuff that I've had to deal with, all the, all the, or anger, the rage, the wanting revenge to, okay, this is daily life. I can deal with this. This isn't so bad. Well, Peter, after watching this second video, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? Absolutely. Chef Daddy 1968 at gmail.com. Well, before we finish up, can you give us one last positive message? Never make a permanent solution for a temporary problem because things change. I mean, I used to be a redneck. I mean, barbecue, beer drinking, bar fighting, redneck. And now I'm not that person anymore. I'm trying to discover the new me. It's hold on to hope. That's that's the big message. Hold on to hope because it will change and it will come if you allow it. Peter, thank you for that message. And thank you for coming back and being my guest again. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Mara. Thank you to the viewers, the commenters. You thank you all. You've helped me out immensely. I can't, can't state that enough. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.